On this episode, we discuss Google making Duo even more confusing, DC Comics splitting with Diamond, the SM4 blowing up, and there's more Pixel 4a rumors. Plus, we discuss an awesome fundraiser game bundle, and we give our thoughts on some very weird Batwoman news. This and more in this week's show. I'm SP from Better Podcasting, a show dedicated to help make your podcast better, and it is part of the Get a Geek Network just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other insightful and wonderful geeky shows at gunnageeknetwork.com. This is the official gunnageek.com show. Each week we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all new episode of the official geek.com show. I am Stephen John Drew, and with me is the better podcaster that would be Chris Farrell. The heck? Also, I'm pleased to say that uh, last week he couldn't be here, but he was there for the super gonna geek terrific SpaceX launch live coverage plaza. Palooza? Palooza, whatever you want to say. Uh, SP's here. Is that the Canadian accent coming out with La La Palooza? It's La yes. La Palooza? It is. It's La La Palooza. <laughs> okay. Except there's an extra A on the end of it, too. La La Palooza. That's what it is. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. It's like you were actually a Canadian. Yes. Uh, I, you were not here last week. In last week's episode, we had Suncast in here. However, I do want to acknowledge that I know you were able to last minute watch a little bit of the show and you were messaging us occasionally through there. And I wanted to say thank you for watching because I know that I don't watch when I'm not on the show. Uh, but secondly, really did appreciate you uh, being able to be there for the coverage that we talked about where we did our random live stream for the SpaceX Crew Dragon launch. Uh, that was a fun time. That was. That was awesome. And I'm really looking forward to more of those. And we'll talk a little bit about that in this episode as we're talking about some of the news stories. I want to say thank you for Suncast. He wasn't really stepping in for me. We're actually having him on as a guest, but it turned out that he was subbing for me. So I just want to say thank you very much, Suncast, for doing that and basically taking my news stories that I was going to talk about. Thank you very much. And Stephen, thank you for reading my text messages and turning on your little logo thing that was turned off at the beginning of last week's show. <laughs> it wasn't turned off. The battery died. Okay, so for the, the audio listener, I have a mic flag. I have a mic flag that my brother 3D printed. We did a whole episode on it, and it runs off a 9-volt battery. Well, after years of turning through 9-volt batteries, I finally said to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get myself a rechargeable battery. Now, the thing is, the rechargeable 9-volt that I got is, I believe, a lithium-ion rechargeable. And here's the thing about lithium-ion batteries. They go until they die. That's the problem. They they don't fade like a regular battery. So there's no indication to me until the very, very tail end, like, like really small, it doesn't start to fade. It's full brightness and then it's off. At least with the old, the alkaline nine volt batteries, it would, it would slowly start to fade and I could see it getting dimmer and be like, oh, I should probably switch it. But with the rechargeable, it's just like it goes, goes, goes dead. So in the Mark II version, what you need to have done is have your brother when he reprints it for you, because we know you're not good enough to do it with your own stuff. Ooh, and ouch. on the back panel, have a battery charge indicator 
that you can see so you know what percentage it is throughout the show. Well, why don't you just have a USB cable come off and power it via USB? He's offered many times. He's offered many times <laughs> that, to convert it. That's the easiest solution. <laughs> I kind of like the battery charge display. It's just another light up thing in the studio. I mean, in, worst case, you power it off of one of these battery bricks if you don't have a cord long enough to reach. Yeah, true. These beasts will just, last just hold, forever. Just hold it up to the mic flag the whole show. Just <laughs> command strip it right up or something like command that. Just, you'll never be able to see it. In the chat, Kent says, just recharge it every few weeks. It's a wonderful idea, except I'm lazy. That's the, you got to remember problem. to do it. That's the problem. So Kent brings up solar recharger. And funny thing, I'm actually exploring that right now with my dad. And we are putting a lithium ion battery on the trailer to power a winch. And how we're going to charge it is through a solar panel on top of the battery box. Well, that's... So. That sort of makes sense, though, because that's outside. Putting a solar recharger on Stephen's uh, mic flag. We're podcasters. We live in caves. We put down all the light sources that's around That's not us. true. He lives in an igloo, and at the top of the igloo, there's always a hole for light. So the USB thing is the best idea um, because of the fact that I'm only using it when I'm literally podcasting. So I know I have USB power. The only thing I'm not sure about is whether I would need to get a special, like, extra shielded USB cable or something because it is power and it would be going right alongside the mic cable. That's the only question I wasn't sure if there would be interference as such. I would love to hear that hum in your recording. <laughs> <laughs> drive you nuts. What is that? What is that? Damn, Mike Fly. So if you want to see what we're talking about, we have a video side of this show over at gunnageek.com and we do stream this live on Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at Geeks.Live, unless we're trying different technologies where we're delayed by 20 minutes. But let's go ahead and move on to the news. All right, I'm going to start off with something that is confusing to me. <laughs> it's confusing because... Well, it's a Google story, and Google is always pretty much confusing these days. If you didn't know this, Google has a few different video platforms available. There is the one we talked about a few weeks ago called Google Meet, which was its its a premier product. It was basically Google Hangouts rebranded into being a business-based product where you could then subscribe to Google's whatever subscription service that businesses subscribe to, and then you could use Google Meet so that you could have people videoing together. And, you know, you could have a little, like, team chat sort of thing, or, like, you know, if you had meetings and whatnot, you could do it through Google Meet. That was their product. And then they went and they rolled that out to the personal users a few weeks ago. That's why we were talking about that, where they said, hey, anybody can now use Google Meet. Well, they also have what I call the FaceTime replacement, which is Google Duo. This is very similar to FaceTime. It's tied to a phone number. There is limited desktop support, multiple users. You can have groups. You can do back and forth video chat. And here's the thing. It works well. For years, I've been using this. And whenever I'm away, this is what I use to, to video. I use it every time my wife wants to video our kids when she's at work. We go and I use the Google Duo together. I think, by the way, for the audio listener, if you just heard something, I think that was SP trying to duo me or Google meet me. I think that's what's going on there. Yeah, I, I was trying that. Yeah, he was oh, trying. Let's try again. He was trying, but uh, I ignored it because I'm podcasting and not distracted easily. Uh, I was distracted easily. 
but they have Google Duo and it works pretty well. Like I said, very similar to FaceTime. I've, I've used it quite a bit. Well, Google has now announced that they are going to allow you to do group video calls via link. So basically you can go and you can set up a Google Duo and you can create a link that then people can click on in order to get into this Google Duo group. This is kind of similar to Zoom if you've used it, but it's also similar to Google Meet where you can go to Google Meet and generate a link and then send it out to people and everybody can join that link. So they've rolled out a feature that again overlaps another product that they have and I'm thoroughly, thoroughly confused. Well, I think they should get together with HBO and totally confuse everybody about how to stream HBO through Meet or Google Duo or which version of HBO that you're talking about. Go now, whatever, Max. And I'm pretty sure there's a few more others out there that I'm just not remembering. In HBO's defense, Google was being confusing long before HBO was confusing, okay? Maybe they just wanted to join in the fun. Chris, I know that you have looked at all of these different Google products the same way that I have. Are you also confused? I don't really use their video products, so I hadn't really paid much attention to it. So your news story was news to me until I was reading the show notes and went, they did what now? Why the hell did they do that? It's typical Google. Again, let's also remember, though, The Google Meet has pivoted into something they didn't expect it to be as a result of COVID-19 right now to basically quickly turn it into a Zoom competitor. Maybe this is what was always the plan for Google Duo and Google Meet kind of had to transform in the short term to be a competitor so that everyone didn't go use Zoom. That's trying to look at it with the glass half full approach. The The glass half empty approach is, oh crap, Google doesn't know what they're doing again when it comes to putting out video or messaging products because it's just like, Wait, which one do I want to use now? They both do the same thing. So what's my decision point? When do I use Duo? When do I use Meet? I don't understand how this works. And secondarily, I just want to know when we're going to use it for podcasting. Yeah, I'm going to give this a bit of a try to see how it is because I've been pretty happy with the Duo quality. Um, I have not really tried the desktop in a while because the desktop support came out a year or so ago. Now, this is a shortcoming that I have to admit I did identify about a month ago. Somehow I was, I think we were talking about the, the group possibility about doing a group chat on Duo. And what I discovered was that when I had a group chat go, I know what it was. It was a family birthday that we were looking at doing. We were doing one of those video things for a family mm-hmm. birthday. And I thought Duo would be a good way to do it instead of Zoom. And I was like, how does this work? But I had to go in and create a group of people because it does group chats, but I had to go and create it all up front. I couldn't just go and drop a link on the person we were surprising, right? So so that's just kind of where I did identify it about a month ago. So I'm glad to see it, but I'm also annoyed to see it because I'm confused. (laughs) Now, Now, the one thing I do notice when I go and pull up both the websites for Google Duo and Google Meet, because we're talking about both those products, one of the very first things they're talking about is end-to-end encryption on whenever you're doing one of these calls. Because remember, one of the things Zoom was getting beat Mm -hmm. up for was the free tier of Zoom is not encrypted. 
So, which is still the case today, correct. by the way. You have to pay for that, I do believe, if yes. you want the encrypted. If you if you pay for it, you do get the Indian encryption. Now, just glancing between the two pages right now, which are sort of similar in appearance, looks like Google Meet is showing everything in a 16 by, 16 by 9 aspect ratio, whereas Duo is showing things in more of a square or a vertically rectangle orientation. So it's more designed for you to hold your phone in front of you with the selfie camera capturing the video feed. So can we get a triangular feed? <laughs> Jeez. What do we call it? Triad meat or something like that? I don't know. Sure. <laughs> I, Steven, I got to turn this off. I man. know. I, I, for the audio <laughs> There's no way to mute it. <laughs> I was uh, videoing SP again, uh, and he answered. He made the mistake of answering. I thought we were going to do something in the show, but I had to turn it off because it was echoing back and forth and everything. So, yeah, don't try to talk to your co-host through multiple means at the same time. It's just not going to work. Oh, now somebody's calling again. <laughs> who's, who's calling you? <laughs> so, so, it's not calling me. Oh, wait, he did. He is. This is what you get for bringing up a calling service during the podcast. <laughs> Riveting just, video. Yeah. I just sent you a heart with Google Duo, however that works. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe one day we'll have some form of clarity on what's what. Uh, you know, I didn't think about it, actually, but I think you probably nailed it on the head that they probably didn't plan to bring out Google Meet as quick as to, to the public. And it might have been a stopgap. It might have been a matter of, OK, we can roll this out now to help with COVID. And maybe, you know, they'll close that down again. I could see them closing it down, actually. Yeah. I mean, one of the first top questions they have on the Google Meet website when you scroll down says, what's the difference between Google Hangouts, Hangouts Meet, and Google Meet? It's so it tends to give more the impression that Meet and Duo weren't really supposed to be competing products. It's more Meet was supposed to be for G Suites and the business side of the house and Duo was more for I'm on my cell phone and I want to do a cool video chat with my friends or something like that. Now, since they've kind of opened Meet up to do that, they've made them very similar. Now, the question I have for you guys, I haven't played with Google Meet very much. Is there a mobile app for it? Or, or how do I access? Do I just go through the web browser to do it? Or is there a Meet app specifically? There is a Meet app specifically. Oh, that's right. We tested it, didn't we? Like, yes, Real actually, quick. Yeah. We did, yes. I did. I, I've been... One of my son's um, uh, school, virtual schooling, is through Google Meet, but I always set him up with a laptop just because it's less distracting. Um, mm -hmm. and it works well. Uh, but I, aside from that, I haven't really used it in practice. Well, let's go on to the next news point here, which I heard Chris is responsible for this next thing because he told us that he stopped reading DC comics about seven years ago. I don't think it's been that long, but, uh, yeah. So we're going to talk about DC comics. We haven't had a comic book story here for a while, but I do read some books. I'm a little behind. Mostly it's Marvel related stuff and some indie properties. But if you're not familiar with buying comics and going to your local comic shop, everything is handled by Diamond Comic Distributors. They're the company that basically is responsible for getting the books from the publishers and getting them out to all of the local stores and things like that. They've had pretty much a near monopoly for at least 20 plus years now. And after 25 years of working with Diamond, DC Comics has now announced they will find an alternate route to comic book shops. They were the exclusive distributor for DC Dark Horse, Marvel, Image Comics, Viz Media, and more until this week when DC ended their partnership with Diamond. The company will now tap Lunar Distribution 
and UCS comic distributors for weekly, weekly releases, excuse me, and Penguin Random House for graphic novels and collected editions, according to a DC spokesman. The DC representative said an email they sent out to retailers on Friday, we recognize that to many of you, this may seem like a momentous decision. However, we can assure you that this change in DC's distribution plans has not been made lightly and follows a long period of thought and consideration. The change of direction is in line with DC's overall strategic vision intended to improve the health of and strengthen the direct market, as well as grow the number of fans who read comics worldwide. According to their note, Diamond will fulfill orders through June 1st and will not solicit the sale of new DC titles further. DC will shift the final order cutoff from June 8th to June 15th to ensure that customers don't miss any issues. So a little backstory. Back in March, Diamond had ceased all distribution in the wake of COVID-19 concerns, which basically forced all comic publishers to halt the rollout of no books. So if you're a comic reader, that's why you hadn't seen any new comic books out since March. They had also announced that it would withhold payments to vendors like Marvel and DC during that time frame. Major publishers eventually found some ways around that decision. For DC, it was to break a 60-day or to break an exclusivity contract with 60 days notice. So they're moving out on their own now. And Diamond, for those that aren't familiar, they're not the easiest company to work with because they've always been pretty much the only show in town when it comes to comics because they were exclusive with everyone. So DC's opening new pathways here, making it easier for your local shops to get comics, potentially for there to be some price competition. But more importantly, meaning that these shops aren't at the mercy of Diamond for everything because I have friends that run comic book shops and... There's always complaints that Diamond is late or that Diamond packed things improperly again. So now they've got to wait another week until Diamond sends the replacements out there because their service sucked because there was no competition. Now we've got that competition. I'm curious to see where it goes. There are a lot of conspiracy theories on the internet. Some folks are really mad, like uh, the guy that owns what is Mile High Comics is pretty much uh, clearing out a ton of DC stock with like a coupon code of DC sucks, gets you like 50% off or something like that because... He has concerns with how this is going to work because everything's not through Diamond. So there are some companies that are angry about it. There are other companies that are curious and want to see what happens. And then there's me, the consumer, who's like, man, my friends have complained about Diamond for years. Maybe this will work out for them. Or it just turns into an utter crap show. I mean, the final conspiracy theory out there is that Time Warner needs cash real bad and Diamond was not looking like they're going to be restarting as soon as they wanted. So this was how to try and get comics out there and start making some money when they're supposedly hemorrhaging, excuse me, hemorrhaging cash. Yeah. So back when I had the Fanboy Buzz podcast and we would cover all sorts of comic book news, um, it seemed like we were regularly talking about somebody getting screwed by Diamond or Diamond screwing something or something negative from Diamond. So I, I have not followed it since then, to be honest. So it very well could be that they've sworn up since then. But based off of those experiences, uh, I think they were a company that needed less power. But again, I could be wrong. Yeah, and DC Comics in of itself, they had a really strong reboot a few years ago with the Rebirth. It was really strong. Just about every book they put out was gold for at least the first 10, 15 episodes or issues. Then Mediocrity started to filter in as it does with both Marvel and, and DC. And I dramatically reduced the total amount of books that I get from both DC and Marvel. And I still get some, 
And I was talking to my, I still go into the local comic book store every week. I get hard copies. I was talking to the guys, a whole bunch of subjects because of COVID and everything. I mean, Marvel's doing this weird, uh, let's really six books this week and then we'll take a week off. Then we'll do six books the next week and whatever. I think this was in plan before the whole pandemic started. But DC is still kind of releasing as they normally would. And I have my concerns around the the cutoff time of what total crap show this is going to turn into. These comic book stores are actually going to have to go into a different website, order different stuff or the same stuff, a, a different website, different distributor, and hopefully they will get everything right. And you know when something new starts up that it's just not going to happen. The other thing that I want to talk about and and Chris, I didn't know you got uh, hard copies anymore. I thought you were exclusively getting electronic copies, and a lot of people are doing that now, is getting the digital versions of the comics versus the hard copies because of storage space, because of uh, a variety of issues. A lot of people don't have a comic book store nearby anymore and that sort of thing. So, Chris, do you still get hard copies or are you just paying attention to this because you still get a couple of books every week? I get some stuff in uh, print media still. A lot of my Marvel stuff I do because it comes with the digital code. So I'll redeem the digital code. So I have that. And I'm not really collecting a lot of those Marvel books. A lot of those end up getting donated every three to six months, basically, to either the libraries or the local thrift stores and things like that so that other people can enjoy them. And I like supporting the local brick and mortar shop. When it comes to some things that are only available without a digital code, then it's kind of just weighing things to figure out would I rather have it sit on a bookshelf or would I rather have it sit on my digital shelf for lack of a better term? Yeah. My comiXology is actually growing by mm. leaps and bounds and it's not just like the Marvel redeem anymore. Yeah. It's I, I do expand. Like if, if I, it's a book that I just know it's not going to be very collectible. I'll get the digital copy and not have to worry about storing it. And one thing to keep in mind when it comes to digital, digital comics, excuse me, is that some of your local shops have digital storefronts too. So you can buy digital comics through their storefront that's basically linked to Comixology. So they're at least still getting a cut, not necessarily as much as they'd be getting from the physical book. I mean, the, the real thing that's tough when it comes to the physical books anymore is that the prices keep going up and up. And when you start getting to some of these big events, like it's $6 for this milestone issue. And I'm like, it's $6 now, but if I wait six months, you're going to put it on sale for $1.99 or you're going to put it on sale for 99 cents. And I don't mean this to sound bad, but I'm at a point now in my life where most of my comics stack up for a few months before I have time to burn off a few issues. So I don't mind being behind and these big milestone things. It's not like I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. Oh my God, what's going to happen next week? I can't believe it. But I used to, maybe I'm just burnt out on big milestone events in comics. It's one of the things when I was guesting on the fanboy buzz I talked about. So to be clear, you're not talking about actually burning the comics. That is correct. Okay. In, unless, so, of course, it's Blue Water or whatever name they're going by now. Do you remember Blue Water? Blue Water is the one that ran, they write unauthorized biographies all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a deep, deep pull for you. Yeah, that's oh. deep, deep pull. That's years, years ago. I forget what they call themselves now. They've been through a couple of name changes. I don't know. All right. Well, all I know is when we look at this, I don't know that the future is as bright for Diamond Comics as it once was, which I feel bad for Rihanna because now how is she going to say shine bright like a diamond? Well, didn't they declare 
bankruptcy too. Wasn't that obviously about Diamond Comics? That's what Rihanna was singing about, right? I thought she was singing about the Diamond Club when they got uh, illegally shut out of the podcast awards. Oh, that could be. It was about the Diamond. No, the Diamond. It was Diamond Group. It was the Diamond Group. Excuse me. I I don't know if you can say illegal. I mean, vindictively, Uh, maybe. Very shadily and with much uh, crappiness. I was going to use a different word. I was going to say a word that would be like effery. You can use your own imagination (laughs) to figure out what that was. All right, well, moving on to the next news point here. Uh, SP, you wanted to talk about the Sinfor. I did. This is a news story I wanted to talk about last week. I was going to go over two big news stories, and I wasn't here, so I didn't get a chance to talk about this. There has been no updates, so what I'm going to talk to you is what we know, and it's a week old. But the other story, of course, was the Crew Dragon flight, which, which just was phenomenal to watch, so... I didn't get a chance to come on and talk about it on the on the real show. It was awesome. We're going to see more of that. And let I'll get to that later on in the show. But what happened before the Crew Dragon is SpaceX also had another big event. They were testing the Starship SN4 prototype. And remember, we talked about the three ones that had exploded prior to that. And we were looking at another test. Well, guess what? They tested it. It actually successfully tested, and then shortly after they tested it, it blew up. This oops. is what we know. Go ahead. I just said, oops. <laughs> yeah, there you go. This is what we know. I consolidated a lot of information from a lot of different articles, notably a Tariq Malik article on space.com. Jeff Faust had a spacenews.com article on it, and The Verge, believe it or not, had an article about it by Lauren Grush. So a fourth prototype of SpaceX's next generation Starship rocket exploded right after a test at the company's South Texas test site near Boca Boca Chica on Friday, May 29th, 2020. There were no reports of injuries. The explosion took place about two minutes after a static fire test of a single Raptor engine in the base of the vehicle. The engine fired for several seconds and there were no immediate signs of problems after the engine shut down. In the seconds just before the explosion, though, there was an extensive venting at the base of the vehicle not seen in previous tests. SpaceX CEO Elon Musk did tell Aviation Week that SpaceX planned to put a pause on Starship development while the company focused on its first crewed flight. Had the Starship prototype remained intact, SpaceX had plans to fly the vehicle on a low-altitude flight test in the coming days, So on May 28th, which is the day before the test, the Federal Aviation Administration granted SpaceX a license to conduct, quote, suborbital reusable launch vehicle missions, unquote, with the vehicle out of Boca Chica. The FAA also placed air restrictions over the launch site for June 1st and June 2nd, which were consistent with the hop test. It would prevent vehicles from flying below 26,000 feet over the area. Now, those restrictions would likely be lifted. I think they were lifted as SpaceX works on its next prototype. SpaceX was already building another Starship prototype, the SN5, at the time of the SN4 failure with some design changes. That vehicle will likely take center stage for the company's next round of tests. Observers at the Boca Chico test site have seen work on the SN5 and SN6 vehicles as well as initial hardware for an SN7 vehicle. 
So they're planning on making more. Obviously, they got three in the hopper and they lost SN4. The Raptor engine, by the way, is the same engine that was used in the Crew Dragon launch. It's on the Falcon 9. The Raptor engine is not at fault. It's the rocket body, the Starship body, that is the trouble here. So we got four tests, four blow-ups, basically. You got Uh, more than four tests, but you had four prototypes and four explosions yeah sorry fair fair correction um how many successes in a row do we need before we feel confidence about this it's got to go through a series of tests i mean if you're talking about the man mission part of starship they're probably going to have crew recovery issues just like they had with spacex and boeing's having with cst 100 starliner and you also have to go up on man first and then you'd go up man. So yeah, there, there's going to be a lot of things with the space shuttle. They didn't do an on man launch, but they did a heck of a lot of testing with the free fall of enterprise, which was OV 101, which was never flew in space and never had actual engines on it. It was just a free fall thing. They took it up on the 747 and then disconnected and then it did a bunch of stuff there. So that was its on man testing. I really doubt Starship is going to go up on manned or manned crewed for its first one. And even the crewed dragon went up several mm-hmm. times before first in the cargo version and in the crewed version before they put astronauts in it. Well, I just know that eventually we're going to run out of one digit SN numbers and then it's going to be an extra keystroke for you every time you type an article about it blowing up. I'm a rocket scientist. I like to see success, but at the same time, I do like explosions. So <laughs> I'm okay with the extra keystrokes. Fair enough. As long as nobody gets hurt. Good clarification. Yes, very good. Uh, okay, actually, one more thing before we jump off of this here. Can you explain to me what's the different intents between the SN here and the Crew Dragon? Like, what's the, the difference? So the Crew Dragon is like a small little capsule with... It's like an Apollo, right? And you have up to, I forget what it is, five or seven. I think it's up to seven people can sit inside and it's meant for low Earth orbit operation. Starship is meant to be a colonization ship. It's meant to have 100 people with cargo to go to places like the moon and Mars and create a colony. Who knows? Maybe an asteroid. I was thinking about that today. Asteroid mining would be an excellent use of a Starliner uh, ship to, to prove concept of it. So, yeah, that's the difference between the two. The Crew Dragon is just a taxi up to space. The Starliner is your 18-wheeler that's hauling across the solar system. Gotcha. So that's what's going to bring Suncast all his Mountain Dew to the Mars base. He has ordered a lot. Yeah, I heard he wanted a lot of caffeine because there's not a lot to do on Mars right now. I heard he ran out of lollipops. I'll send him some. FedEx delivers to Mars, right? (laughs) Prime ship it. Yeah, there you go. Moving on. Oh, by the way, before we move on to the next one, I know I've said that twice now. Uh, Do you see the little Elon, uh, Elon, uh, Jeff Bezos thing recently? They're uh, heating up again. Elon's taking some shots. I think it was after the Crew Dragon launch, right? And they were they were shooting back and forth. So was the Russians too, by the way. It's just all fun and games. I did catch your shot last week in the show, by the way. That that was the shot was for me. It was from. A little behind the scenes talk back and forth about how the Russians would argue their case because they are excellent arguers, by the way, or discussions or debaters or whatever you want to call it. 
But in this particular case, yeah, uh, Jeff Bezos also has a space company called Blue Origins. They're in the process of developing their uh, capsules and launch vehicle family. They're all named after astronauts like New Shepard, and they're just not as advanced. They're not working as fast as Elon Musk's SpaceX. And it, to be honest with you, so far, it's only been suborbital uh, tourist flights that they're interested in. They're not interested in going to space and cargo up to low Earth orbit or beyond, which honestly, there's there's going to be a market for that. And you don't want to spend all the money that you would spend on a Crew Dragon or a Boeing SDS-100 Starliner launch or a Starship launch. You don't want to spend that just to go up 60 miles to say you've been in space like a roller coaster and then come back down. You, you just don't want to do that. You want to do that with a more economical version to make it available for more people. I do have to correct you here. You called it Blue Origins, and I think it's important that we call, call it what it is, which is Blue Origin, because that is more past tense. And even Jeff Bezos knows that that company is destined for failure. So let's make sure to clarify that right now. Why? Okay, <laughs> I have not heard that Jeff Bezos knows that his company is being set up for failure because he's literally dumping billions of dollars into tell, it. I, just, the word on the street. I was on the street and there was a guy yeah. that said it to me. It was the word on the street. Was this guy drunk? It might might have been me. I'm not sure. The more Steven starts spinning tall tales, the oranger his skin becomes to me. <laughs> a little bit of Molson in his hand. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's actually move on now. Uh, let's talk Pixel 4a. This was a weird rumor that came out last week. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the Google Pixel 4a. We are watching this very closely, especially me, because my Pixel 2 battery lasts like three minutes now. And I'm just <laughs> waiting here, waiting for the 4A, which is basically Google's light version of the Pixel 4. But it's going to have some tweaks that I think I actually like better than the Pixel 4. But the 4A was rumored to come out and I think it was late May. But then with everything happening was delayed, then was apparently delayed again. And it looked like we knew everything. but. There is now a rumor that's heated up that perhaps the Google Pixel 4a may have wireless charging. This is because a case from a UK-based smartphone um, case maker called ESR Gear leaked some pictures that looks like maybe there will be wireless charging into the 4a. This is a pretty big thing because the Pixel line has been notably missing wireless charging from the beginning, except for, I think, the most recent version, I think the 4 was the first one that got the wireless charging, even <laughs> though the Nexus line had wireless charging. Did the 3 have it? I thought it did. Maybe it was the, the 3 might have had it. You might be right. I know the 2 doesn't. 1 and 2 did. I yeah. thought 3 did. 3 might have. But it was missing for a couple iterations. And then the 3A last year did not have it. So the 3 did not have the wireless charging. So this would be pretty big if this um, render does end up being true, that there could be wireless charging on the 4A. Now, this could be entirely wrong. Third-party manufacturers have been known to do things wrong before and have had photos leaked before that have been incorrect. But it would just entice me even more. I'll be, okay, I'm enticed already. But it would just be another nice feature to have 
is the wireless charging. So, so I'm not trying to be a troll here, but is wireless charging really a must-have feature for anyone, or is it a nice-to-have? It's a nice-to-have, oh, I think. It is so convenient. I don't dispute I, that, but... After using it on multiple devices in the house, everybody's phones and, and stuff, it's and, and watches, the Apple Watch, which I don't have, but it is so convenient to just put it on a stand like at night or right in front of me and have it charged and not have to worry about plugging it in and, and unplugging it. Um, I would agree that it's not absolutely necessary, but it is in a lot of cases a game changer. So I still worry about the unnecessary battery cycles. I think I talked about it back with like, God, it's been ages ago we were talking about that, but there's no such thing as trickle charging last I had checked when it comes to wireless chargers. So basically you hit a point and it stops charging and your battery drops and then it recharges it. Whereas when you're plugged in with USB or whatnot, once you hit hundred percent, it trickle charges. It basically keeps enough power there to keep it at hundred percent. So I would still have my concerns long-term if you're using that as your primary charging path, but I can see the convenience. Like if you're sitting at your desk, toss it down in between meetings or something like that to charge up. And I'm really intrigued. I talked about with these pixel buds, the ability it can charge wirelessly. That is super convenient to me. And the fact it could charge off of your phone using that reverse wireless, that's kind of cool, but none of it is me going, oh my God, I have to have this. And I will be honest, this Pixel 4a leak, I don't believe it. This is a a mid-tech, mid-tier phone that Google's putting out. Go and look at the Android lines. How many of your mid-tier phones come with wireless charging? The, the reason they're priced like this is to be aggressive. And while wireless charging isn't exactly expensive, it's another extra cost on something that they're probably making minimal, if any, money on when they send it out the door. One thing worth considering in regard to that is the Nexus 4. That was not even the one that was really popular, the Nexus 5. True. The Nexus 4 had wireless charging. That is true. So and there, it, are, there were a lot of people that were using that as their Palm pre-competitor, if we go back in time. To remember that with the yeah. touchstone wireless charger and using it with that. I only know that the Nexus 4 had it because I have a buddy that owned the Nexus 4 and then he went running and he fried the port. <laughs> he fried mm-hmm. the charging port and that's how he kept using his phone was by, by wirelessly oh, charging. Yeah. Otherwise, he would have had to throw it out. Yeah. I mean, that's the nice thing there is you have that backup for that. But some other things you consider, like, for instance, if you use Android Auto, at least in my car, you can get a optional wireless charger where your phone sits. But if you are running Android Auto, you have to be plugged in and it doesn't enable wireless charging if you're plugged in. So it's kind of a waste and things like that. And then I would also have concerns. There are some things that support wireless CarPlay and wireless Android Auto. It's basically a Wi-Fi connection between your phone and uh, your head unit in your car. If you're on a wireless charger there, it's not as efficient. Can it keep it at 100%? Does it just effectively give you a tiny trickle charge because of the GPS power that's burned up. I don't know. There's some places where I still just feel more comfortable with wired charging. I think wireless has its place for, honestly, at my desk at work so that I can toss my phone there, top up for a little bit, and then pick up my phone and go to the next meeting or something like that. I just don't see myself going to wireless as my primary charging. No, I agree. Uh, That's why I said it was a nice to have. Um, One of the places where I could see myself using it would be in a um, car holder because I, you know, where I live, you can only technically have your phone out. Um, You're not even supposed to have it in a cup holder or anything if it's affixed to the the dash. So Mm -hmm. if it's affixed to the dash, so whenever I need to charge my phone, 
even if I have no intention to use it, I take it and I put it into a holder that I have on my car that is has it's properly fixed to the dash. Thus, it's legally in there when it's charging. If I get pulled over, not a thing they can do about it because I am following the rules to a T. And so that might be a kind of helpful thing to not have the cord, you know, hanging down or whatever and just just plunk it in and have a charging pad there. Um, so I don't know. It's, it would be a nice to have. There's a couple of situations where I've been in, you know, since I've switched to the Pixel line that I've, I've wished that I had it. But uh, I again, I don't I, I it's not a make or break for me. Fair. One thing that in that scenario that you just gave, mm-hmm. I think will go away is eventually when you get a new car and it's got Android Auto in it, then it won't matter if you see your phone or not, because Absolutely. that mm-hmm. it'll just be up on your dashboard, just yeah. like it is with Chris's Android Auto and with my CarPlay. Yeah, uh, my my car is old. <laughs> the yeah. one I'm speaking about. Yeah, I, I get it. I've been there. Yeah, I just plug my phone in and then it's plugged in until the car stops, really. I think the only time I unplug my phone is if I'm at the car wash. And while my phone is getting, while my car is getting washed, I'll mess around on my phone while I'm stuck in the car wash. Now that you mention it, that would be a real good reason for me to buy a brand new vehicle. There you go. You convinced me. I'll just go do it tomorrow. Go for it. So, Chris, a couple of quick questions. I know with mine, because we did a whole segment on, on mine, I think we did a segment on yours, too. But I can't remember with the CarPlay that I have. It's like an early version of CarPlay. And I have to have my phone plugged in via the lightning USB connector into the dashboard. I can't do it via Bluetooth in your car. Can you connect Android Auto via Bluetooth and have full functionality? No, the Android Auto, if you do not have a has to have a wired connection because the amount of data that is going back and forth, Bluetooth can't support. The head units that do support wireless Android Auto is using a direct Wi-Fi connection between your phone and the head unit with a combination of Bluetooth. So effectively, when you're plugged in with Android Auto, unless you reconfigure it, all of your audio is going over Bluetooth and all of your data is going over Mm. uh, USB, is my understanding. Okay. And if I'm wrong, please feel free to correct me, Chris at GunnaGeek.com or at the Chris Farrell on Twitter. That's my understanding. I have not dug into it super deep. Wireless is so cheap. I don't know why they don't just, if you're going to do like CarPlay or Android Auto on your car, you don't enable a wireless radio. It doesn't well, make because sense to me. Because all of the car manufacturers have to support that. And that's the third party folks are doing that. You can go buy a Pioneer head unit or something like that. We'll do it. But BMW, Subaru, Ford, things like that. Those guys until like this model year, for the most part, aren't doing that. You've got a couple of the premium trims that might be doing that because what what does it matter? Just plug in. I don't know. My my other vehicle is not that new, but it's also not new anymore, and it's had Wi-Fi in it, and so that's why I don't understand why it's not well, commonplace. So there's a difference between the in-car Wi-Fi and the Wi-Fi that would be in these head units to do things. And that's what I mean. I don't know why they just don't equip it. Like, if, you know, in-car Wi-Fi is so easily possible, don't tell me it's more than 20 bucks to do. Well, those are two different things, though. I mean, they're marketing that in-car Wi-Fi. But here, all your kids can watch Netflix while you're traveling and things like that. And that's not even in the same thought pattern as the head unit needing a Wi-Fi connection to support wireless Android Auto because you can buy a cable for two bucks and they don't have to worry about it. Honestly, it's just because the demand's not there and the technology until recently hasn't really been ready to support wireless Android Auto, Apple CarPlay, things like that. And again, it's another one of those things that 
yeah, it's great if you have it, but your guaranteed best rock solid connection is still to plug in. And if you want to charge your phone, the quickest way to charge is to plug in. And that's why I was asking all the questions was to ultimately get back to how to charge your phone in the car if you need to plug it in or not using one of those services. So where this gets interesting, we've touched on the show before, is there's the rumors that Apple wants to get rid of the lightning port or not even do a USB-C port and make it all wireless charging. The problem is they effectively cripple 95% of the Apple CarPlay vehicles out in the market right now because they are not equipped to support wireless CarPlay. So there is no way that you could then use CarPlay on any of your old cars. You'd be like, oh, it'd be effectively Apple saying, well, sucks to be you if you want to do it, buy a new car. And there's as much as people may love Apple products, they're not going to go drop 20 to 30 grand on a brand new car just to use wireless Apple CarPlay. No. And another thing I wanted to say, and I know I'm making this segment a lot longer than we had intended it to be, but Stephen, I think you and I are both kind of in the same boat with our phones in that uh, we're getting to the end of their life. I've got an iPhone 8 Plus. You've got yours that you talked about. And I'm worried that the gear with the pandemic, that the gear release schedule has been pushed back to the point where it's going to force a lot of people to either upgrade or degrade for a little bit until that new model actually comes out that they're willing to spend on. There's something to be said right now because of that, to be looking at things like Swappa or third-party things. If your phone bricks out, go and find something that's a pre-owned thing that'll be relatively affordable to get you to that point when the new product comes out versus having to buy something now that is the cutting edge stuff that's outdated in a month because then the product you've been waiting for comes out. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. Um, Moving on to the next news point here, you had a bundle that you wanted to talk about, right, Chris? Yes. So there is a bundle I want to talk about. Now, caveat, in order to talk about this, I have to talk a little bit about current events that are going on. We are not going to get into opinion on what is going on, things like that. It's not our place to be getting into that. And honestly, you should be getting that news from other folks out there. But in order to properly discuss this story, I have to talk about the protests in the Black Lives Matter movement and things that are going on right now. So itch.io's creator has launched what is probably the largest bundle of games ever in its efforts to support the Black Lives Matter movement. They partnered with 564 creators to develop the Bundle for Racial Justice and Equality. This is 742 DRM-free indie games with a value of a little over $3,400. And you can get this whole bundle for pretty much paying however much you want, but donations start at a minimum of $5. You can donate as much as you want. Like I said, 742 games in this bundle. And there's some games you might be familiar with that you might have seen on Steam or some other sales. Games like Oxenfree, A Mortician's Tale, Night in the Woods, This Call May Be Recorded. Some of these projects are actually tabletop games you can print out and run with friends. The titles are from a combination of 564 different creators. But the coolest part is, when you go and do the math, you're saving 99% off when compared to buying each game individually. So this is an incredible deal. It goes to something that many people may consider a good movement. Uh, they have said that the money of 50% will go to the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund and the other 50% to the Community Bail Fund. I purchased my copy just before the show started about uh, 8.30 p.m. There was a little over seven days left when I did that. They have raised $2.6 million 
on uh, people buying these bundles online. The average contribution was $11.39. They're at 52% of their goal and have 232,381 contributors. So if you're someone who really likes indie PC gaming, also Mac and Linux for a lot of these things, this is a really cool way to get out there and just explore a whole bunch of different cool indie games. And personally, let me caveat this, my personal opinion, not speaking for anyone else on this show or the show itself, my money is going towards something that I think is a worthwhile cause that also gives me a bunch of games to go and explore. And I think it's really cool that a lot all these indie developers came together and basically said, yeah, we're willing to do this to raise money for a cause they believed in. So that's at itch.io. You can find that uh, boatloads of games. Uh, there are a lot of folks that are putting guides out on Twitter and Facebook and Reddit on, hey, if you buy the bundle, here's the top five games we suggest you start with because it is a bit daunting to be like, holy crap, I just got 742 games. What do I touch on first? Uh, because honestly, I looked at that list and went, I, I have no idea what I want to play. So I started looking online to get suggestions of some of the stuff to uh, delve into and play. Uh, one important thing to note, there is no Steam keys that come with these things. You're basically just getting direct downloads of the games. So they are not things you'll download through Steam. That may matter to some folks. It may not matter. And there is, as we record this on June 8th, a little over seven days left for you to go and decide whether 742 games for five bucks is worthwhile to you. Can you imagine trying to organize this just 10 years ago, less than that? Like, this is unbelievable how far we have come with being able to distribute things en masse right. like this. I am Im so impressed with you know, I, I think back to like the early crowdfunding days and and there, there was trouble delivering one thing, right? Like, you know, and now look at this, this big mass collaboration from 567 creators. Unbelievable. And, um, you know, obviously. We'll see uh, if it does work out completely, you know, uh, issue free with downloads and things like that. You know, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how that technical technical workings of it is. So what it looked like to me is when you go in order, if you don't have an account there, it basically sends you an email that has a permanent link to a page that you can go to to download. And it is basically just a page that lists every game and then an option for a Windows download, a Linux download, an Apple download for any each one of those games if you want. And it's also a link to that game's page on itch.io rather to go and read reviews and background on the game. So I effectively have 740 games I have hot links to to go and download. You know, I just noticed something on this page that I think just speaks to general crowdfunding or, you know, general fundraising that's tied to products or whatever, however you want to call that. This is billed as $3,400 in value, right? $3,400 in value. Mm-hmm. The top contribution is 5000 So it just goes to show that there are, you know, sometimes people will pay more than the value, you know, because they believe in the cause or they think it's a cool thing and they want to help support that. So I don't know. I, I just think that this is a neat thing and uh, for multiple reasons. So that's, that's cool. Yeah, as follows the same principles, which sort of what you see with Humble Bundles, if you've bought any of those in the past, where... The difference is Humble Bundle, you can break up and specify how much of a percentage of what you pay goes to, say, the developers versus to the storefronts and things like that. In this case, from the way I understand it, from what I read, 100% of the money goes to those two organizations that were called out. If you're not 
an avid PC gamer like me, you might want to just check this out because it's, it's like over 700 titles of just different things. Are they state of the art? Uh, are they, you know, the, the big name stuff? No, but there's a lot of cool stuff that's independently produced. So you might want to give this a, the minimum contribution is five bucks. And if you're just curious, throw five bucks at it. And if you want to support the cause and you have a little bit more money, you can throw more money at it. You know, it's up to you what you want to do here. I mean, some of these games are more than five bucks a pop. Let's be honest here. And some of them have come out on other consoles. Like I've played Oxen Free somewhere before. I can't remember where, but a lot of these things I've heard about and I've heard people talk about, and I've gone, oh, those would be cool. And I just kind of forgot. Well, now I own them. And it seems like that these are indie games that will run. You don't necessarily need a gaming PC or cutting edge hardware to do it. So it's something I could throw on my laptop and play upstairs or something like that. So I'm looking forward to trying it. I mean, there's you know probably you, no way I'll play all 740 of them. You know what you should do in the next week, Chris? You should get on Twitch and you should stream some of these. I mean, that's possible too. I could throw... There are a lot of folks that are streaming this on Twitch now from what I've been reading too. So yeah, I mean... And, if you are the indie developers that are doing this, you're getting a whole bunch of people interested in your game mm -hmm. and your studio also. So let's say, hypothetically, I put a game out in six months. Someone could be like, oh, I remember these guys who made Game X in the bundle I got. I should go check out this new game they're putting out. And it could very well lead to more business. This is not me being like, oh, I'm cynical. They're only doing this to get more business in the future. No, I wager part of them thought, hey, that'd be cool if this amounts to that. But I wager that the people who are involved in this are going, hey, I feel this is a charitable cause I want to get behind, so I want to be involved. Yeah, and th that's sort of what I was getting at with the $5,000 top contribution for a $3,400 product. That's exactly the point. I think this is cool, and I'm glad you brought this up, and I will uh, I will be buying myself um, afterwards. There's a couple interesting ones. There's also state Space Station Architects. So you can help build the new Stas NASA space station going to Mars that Suncast is going to live in. One of the cool things I remember from going into Disney World back in like the 80s was that in Epcot Center, and I forget where it was in Epcot, but there was a thing of building your own roller coaster and you had to stay within the bounds of like physics. And if you messed up and, and you put like too high of a, 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 an incline or a decline or whatever, that you'd end up crashing the roller coaster and, you know, killing everybody on board or whatever. I mean, it was just a little video game, but it was pretty cool. It taught people basic engineering principles. And moving on to our last official news point here before I quickly ramble about something else. USP uh, had another space-related news. Yeah, this happened this week, and it happened post the Crude Dragon launch, and it is not the only thing going on. I teased it all show. We're going to talk about the future of what's going on with space exploration. What happened on June 5th is that NASA issued a contract to Northrop Grumman for the gateway module Halo. Wow, what's that about? SP, you've not talked about that yet. That's because I thought at the time that this was being announced one, two, three years ago, that it just wasn't going to happen. I still think there's a large percentage chance that this is not going to happen, but it is actually in the process of the preliminary stages. So let's talk about this. This is through a triple of articles, one from Space News this past week, one from Space.com by Mike Walt. Jeff Faust wrote the Space News article. And then back in March of 2020, Chelsea Gold 
on space.com wrote an article about the gateway not being on the critical path for Artemis. What is all that? Let's get into this. On Friday, June 5th, 2020, NASA awarded Northrop Grumming a $187 million contract to design the habitat module called the Habitation and Logistics Outpost, or HALO, not talking about the video game HALO, although I think that's really neat, for the Space Agency's Lunar Gateway, which is a planned moon orbiting space station for astronauts. The design contract will take the HALO through a key milestone called the Preliminary Design Review, which is expected to be complete by the end of 2020. Last year, NASA tapped Virginia-based Northrop Grumman to build the Gateway pressurized crew cabin HALO. Northrop Grumman will base HALO on its Cygnus spacecraft, which has been flying contracted robotic cargo missions to the International Space Station for NASA since 2014. Northrop will make significant modifications to the Cygnus design for HALO, such as installing several docking ports to accommodate Orion spacecraft, ooh, there's another new name, Orion spacecraft or other gateway elements. It will also have new command and control systems and an enhanced life support system to support visiting crews. The module, described by NASA as the size of a small studio apartment, will be able to support short stays by crews arriving on Orion spacecraft around the moon. Okay, I'm going to take a little note here that Orion is built by Lockheed, and it is different than SpaceX's Starship, SpaceX's Crew Dragon, Boeing's CST-100 Starliner, Blue Origin's New Shepard, or the Sierra Nevada Dream Chaser. These are all different manned vehicles that are either operational or in development. This contract award Quote, this is from a NASA administrator, Jim Bernenstein, who, if you watched the Crew Dragon launch, you've watched quite a bit of footage of him. Quote, this contract award is another significant milestone in our plan to build robust and sustainable lunar operations. The Gateway is a key component of NASA's long-term Artemis architecture, and the HALO capability furthers our plans for human exploration at the moon and preparation for human future human missions to Mars. Artemis is NASA's program of crewed lunar exploration, which aims to land two astronauts near the moon's South Pole in 2024 and establish a sustainable human presence on and around the moon by 2028. Bernan noted that the agency envisions such work paving the way for the next giant leap of getting astronauts to Mars which NASA aims to do in the early 2030s. Gateway likely won't be involved in the Artemis 3 mission in the 2024 landing. This is the critical path that I was talking about. But NASA sees the mini space station as crucial to its longer-term lunar plans. The outpost will serve as a jumping-off point for sorties both crewed and uncrewed to the lunar surface. The current plan calls for launching Gateway's first two elements, which is HALO and a module called the Power and Propulsion Element, or PPE, not to be confused with personal protection equipment, which will be built by Maxar Technologies. Together in November of 2023, it will be launched. 
NASA expects to award Northrop Grumman a second contract by the end of this year to actually build Halo and integrate Halo with PPE. So Artemis is the planned NASA exploration of the moon and Mars. Gateway is the space station that will be orbiting the moon as a jumping point off to go down to the lunar surface and back. It won't be permanently manned and we're crude. And you have all of those different modules or different spaceships that I was talking about, some of which are just low Earth orbit or suborbital, but some of which are outer space capable, like the Orion or like Starship. A lot going on with the future of space. It is not just getting a crew dragon up to the International Space Station. This is the future that NASA is currently architectured to do. By 2024, they want to land somebody on the moon. I think some of this is politically driven and coinciding with terms. So who knows after the election if these plans will hold or if the nation's finances will be able to still uh, support this or not. So we'll stay tuned to this. Like I said, there is a large percentage chance that it won't unfold the way that I just explained and the way that NASA's story is going. I'll give an example. Space Station Freedom never happened. Now, the International Space Station happened, but the United States Space Station Freedom never happened. In the chat, we have a question from Suncast. He goes, how much of this is for the purpose of space dominance? None of this, to my knowledge, is associated in any shape or form with the United States Space Force. Uh, second question that I've got for you now is when is Beyonce going to go make the visit? Because I'm assuming that she would like to be able to say, I can feel your halo, halo, halo. <laughs> I have no idea if she's ever expressed the desire to go in space. But do you guys remember a little movie called The Core? No, vaguely. Do you remember who the pilot of the now the Beyonce? No, it was not Beyonce. Sandra Bullock, wasn't it? No, it was it Rihanna? No. If you guys are going to keep guessing, go keep guessing. I, I'm <laughs> I, I actually enjoying I, this. I give up. It was Hillary Swank. Oh, of course it was. Mm. And I just watched an interview with her at the time that this came out on Entertainment Tonight. I was watching a very old VCR tape today when I was on the treadmill. She mentioned that her first desire in life was to become an astronaut, but because she did so poorly in science that she decided to be an actor instead. But she said if there was an ever an opportunity to go up into space, she would take it. So maybe Hillary Swank will go up instead of Beyonce. But she didn't sing a song called Halo. Maybe Beyonce can give her the rights. Well, that's true. Maybe, perhaps. Well, thank you for sharing this before I cracked a terrible joke. Uh, last thing, let's just quickly touch on here because we probably should mention it is uh, the CW is messing up all sorts of things. Uh, the CW's Arrowverse is in such a weird state right now. I have to say, I've been watching it. I haven't, I haven't hated some of the stuff as much as other people, perhaps Stargate Pioneer has. Uh, yeah, but one of the wait, shows. Wait, that, wait, 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 what, wait, wait, wait. Let's not let that go. Hate, <laughs> no. Dislike, yes. I haven't been strongly disliking the shows as much as Stargate Pioneer has been. However, 
I have been really enjoying Batwoman. I think that Batwoman, there's so many things that remind me of early Arrow, which is like so many good plots established early on that you know they can go into in future seasons. They've built good, uh, weird relationships. There's some things in there that you're like, I can't wait to see the next season. So they'll act that and remove that that thing that's a weird plot line that they set up for some weird uh, rom-com type way. But let's go ahead and remove that because you know that's going to happen. But it is really reminding me of early Arrow. And uh, some of the fights have been good and things as well. So for me, it's been the best, the be the best uh, on the Arrowverse this season. However, um, the news came out uh, a couple of weeks ago that Ruby Rose, who plays Batwoman, would not be returning for season two. And the rumor at that time was that they would be recasting the lead role. So everybody was thinking they're just going to do the old switcheroo. We'll just go ahead and, you know, let's be honest. It's fair for anything Bat-related. How often have we seen Batman recast? And just continue on the same character. Well, it came out this past week that they are going to go and just remove the main character altogether and go with a whole new character. So the center, the main character, which they have set up an entire show around and crossover with other Arrow shows, they have decided um, that they are going to just go and pull completely out of the equation, even though pretty much every other character on that show naturally revolves around the leading character on the show. It's the way you build a show. You have a focal character, and then everybody else ties into that focal character some way. Otherwise, are you sure that's how you build a show? That's generally how you build a show. Generally, Generally, everybody is involved with that main character somehow because they are the eyes. They are the main character on that show. Unless, of course, you do the Walking Dead thing where you go and you split everybody off and then everybody complains until they come back together. But now they're pulling that character out. They're pulling out the main character. So Arrowverse, way to screw up things. No, I don't know that they... They're in a, stuck in a hard place right here. I mean, they've built so much of it up around... Ruby Rose is Kate Kane and spending a lot of time building up that character that they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. If they recast it, it's going to be like, well, it's this is Ruby Rose's character. They're just in her shoes. And if they do what they're doing, it's, well, you're not respecting the character of Kate Kane. I don't know what the right answer here is. I would recast because it's comics. You can always pull some kind of shenanigans to explain why someone looks different. But I think how did I how did I compare this? This would be like taking the end of season one of Arrow and saying, uh, Stephen Amell is leaving the show. We're going to recast, bring in a new lead that is not Oliver Queen that we haven't introduced that's going to assume his role. And Liberty brings up they need to go back to multi-year contracts. They had one. They just came to an agreement to go their separate ways. Unfortunately, Batwoman is not a character like Green Lantern where you can have multiple people filling the role. It is Kate Kane in the comics i think if it was just the one issue ruby rose as batwoman you could go ahead and recast there are so many things in flux right now with all of the existing cw shows that are part of the arrowverse that i don't know if they could get away with that i think I, as much as I hate to say it, I think Berlanti's trying to pull something out that will redeem a lot of things in the Arrowverse. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't think it's going to work, but we'll see. 
I won't be watching as Stephen kind of mentioned before, but I wish all the shows well because it actually employs a lot of people, a lot of people that I like, uh, the actors and whatever. Matter of fact, you were saying that you love the fights of Batwoman, Stephen. Mm -hmm. The reason why you love the fights of Batwoman, it's the same crews that did season one and season two of Arrow are now doing the fight choreography for Batwoman. That's why you like it so much. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I want to say that I think it's worth acknowledging that some people didn't like Ruby Rose as Kay Kane. And so that's why I think they could have got away with the recasting because I thought she did an okay job. But I also would have been willing to see who else would would follow that. And, you know, there's an argument to be made of who's going to follow in Ruby Rose's steps. She's a big name. But you still have this person following in Ruby Rose's step uh, footsteps as the main character. It doesn't matter if you switch the character, it still is following Ruby Rose. So that's why I think that's kind of a moot point or an, an invalid point. And I just personally think that they should have just continued and recast. So I think they could have they could have continued on the path they were on. But we'll see it, well, how this goes. Maybe it'll be the best thing that happens. It happens all over. It happened in Harry Potter. It happens in franchises. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it wasn't Harry Potter that got recast in Harry Potter. <laughs> Are I mean, you that, sure? That, that's the Are you sure? Yeah. I mean, and Albus Dumbledore was recast because uh, Richard Harris passed away. He, uh, here's the thing. Audiences know what happened. We don't need any reason to explain why they're different. Nothing had to happen. All you had to do was say, to say, ah, this character... This person didn't sign on. We're switching it. And that's the way it is. And that's like, we don't need to work it in here. The audience isn't stupid. But, I love the way that Last Man Standing did. I mean, different yeah. situation, but Last yeah. Man Standing did it. It was hilarious. Yeah. Every every time they've had to recast the character because it's not just been one. Yeah. So that's going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. Before we go, let's just remind you, the Gonna Geek Network has a bunch of amazing geeky content. You should check that out at Gonna Geek. Com. And while you're over there, make sure that you check out the wonderful, the fantastic Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, because I can tell you that my personal opinion is that Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the only good part so far of this season for me of watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I have to say I've been uh, in retrospect, I kind of was a little excited with the first episode, but then thinking about it the next day was pretty disappointed. Then episode two was also pretty disappointed. So uh, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. makes it fun. In this particular case, Stephen and I flip-flop, but interestingly enough, I think it's great that you are promoting Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. this week because your feedback is front and center stage in the feedback section of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. I uh, like to promote things that I mention in. Yeah, Legends <laughs> of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode 335, by the way. At he's honest. Yep, there you go. Is there anything that either of you'd like to plug or promote? Go ahead, SP. I would. I would like to thank our listeners and viewers to the show. It's really, really great that all of you are still with us after 300 or what are we? 320 whatever episodes. 334. But I would have a request. If you like the show, I would love and you consume it via audio. I would love to see a audio review within Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, wherever you're consuming the podcasts. I would love to see a review of why you like the show because we have fun doing it. 
but we know a lot of people listen to it. So we want to hear from you what you like about the show. Suncast in the chat told me to ring the bell. And I'm assuming that's what he likes about the show. And that's why he asked me to do it. The bell? Yeah. yeah put it in a review, man. Yeah. I want to hear. The I bell read has it. the most charisma of anyone on this show. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. Chris, anything you want to plug or promote? Make sure you subscribe on YouTube and click that notification bell. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you for that one, Suncast. <laughs> Sorry, I was muted. I was trying to ring the bell at the same time. It didn't work. <laughs> Is there anything you would like to plug or promote? Uh, just a friendly reminder, there's a lot of live content here. So go to geeks.live, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and you will see the calendar of all of our upcoming live events. So on that note, for episode 334, say it with me, SP, 334 of the official going to geek.com show. I'm Stephen John Drew saying we tried some different tech tonight for the video viewers. Let us know what you thought. I'm SP saying let's go to space. And I'm Chris. I'm going to go play some PC games. And thanks, Suncast, for letting us know about that video tech. Bye. Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.